This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Hello, this is Ben Acker and Ben Blacker, creators and proprietors of the Thrilling Adventure Hour podcast and comic book. And you're listening to Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Sort of break it, break it down like this. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is my pleasure to welcome you to episode 182 of THN. We're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, October 15th. I've been a little bit clemped this week, so we're enjoying a hot toddy. Joe Patrick's first. Welcome aboard, Grandma. Chin chin. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me on the Twitter under the handle at Matt Baumstein. And when I'm not possessed by the mindless rage and dementia that comes with my yearly post-nasal drip, I'm panhandling my copywriting abilities on the internet to anyone willing to pay me two cents a word. And I'm Joe Patrick. That's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not posting on the Grant Gustin Superfan page forums... Because he's the dreamiest. He is the dreamiest. I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. That boy honks like a goose. In this week's episode, you'll hear our somewhat realistic reviews of Thrilling Adventure Hour Presents and The Death of Wolverine, number four. After that, we'll review 10 more of this week's new comics faster than the Giants can show the Royals how far small ball will take you in the World Series during a ludicrous speed round. And then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we will learn the horrible truth behind Marvel recycling all their old event comics. And we'll discuss a couple of next weeks. And finally... The comic pushers are back, shoveling highly addictive comics up one listener's nose. That's not the best way to enjoy them. Straight up in your dome, dude. So steal yourselves for just under an hour of pure comic nerd podcasting, and then we can talk about this week's big news. On the opening night of New York Comic Con, Marvel Comics announced what they are calling the biggest event they've ever done. Uh huh. Brace yourselves <laughs> for the return. Of Secret Wars! Secret Wars is a 12-issue series written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Asad Ribic, and will be the culmination of everything Hickman has been working towards since he took over the Avengers titles two years ago. Unlike the current storyline that is the culmination of everything he's been working towards in the Avengers titles that he started on. No, TV. no, no. This is the lead-up to the culmination of everything he's been working towards for My the bad. last two years. This is the culmination of the culmination. But aside from that, information and an epic teaser image by Alex Ross, which features multiple versions of dozens of characters engaging in battle, Marvel has revealed almost nothing about the event. Marvel's president of publishing, Dan Buckley, has stated that every title in Marvel's line is pointing to Secret Wars, intimating that all of the time travel weirdness of the past couple years will tie in. Huh. Adding to the curiosity, Marvel has spent this week releasing a series of teaser images for summer 2015, each referencing a past event with a twist. First came a Civil War teaser that showed Captain America and Iron Man literally fighting over Spider-Man. They're both dating him. Right. Next came Age of Ultron versus Marvel Zombies. Pretty self-explanatory. Then, X-Men, Years of Future Past, featuring a decidedly 80s version of the X-Men and the Brotherhood by Art Adams. I thought that one was pretty cool. Yes. <laughs> Finally, Planet Hulk and Armor Wars, each featuring different versions of the title character battling each other. It seems obvious that these teasers are tied to Secret Wars, but what does it all mean? Matt, is this the event that will finally destroy the Marvel Universe as we know it? No. Every event that comes up is going to destroy the Marvel Universe as we know it, and none of them ever do. With that said, look, for, let's get this out of the way. 
bitch all you want about them recycling old stuff and bringing stuff back. You can't tell me we didn't look at these previews and go, oh, man, that looks pretty cool. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know? I mean, honestly, when the Civil War teaser came out, a lot of the reaction online was, oh, great. Marvel's just recycling stuff now. But then it became clear that these are teasers using the event name, but are obviously very different. Like the Planet Hulk one is not what Planet Hulk was. Not it's a all. bunch of different Hulks fighting. Yeah. And the Armor Wars was a bunch of different Iron Mans fighting. Yeah. The Years of Future Past is obviously a take on Days of Future Past, but it's a different name. Right. Now, here's my theory. This is the ultimate incursion. Yes. Yes. The remaining alternate Earths fighting for survival. And I think that it's going to lead to some sort of melding of certain elements from multiple universes. We talked about it before when we thought it was just going to be the ultimate universe and the main Marvel universe. Essentially, I think this is their way of doing a reboot without sacrificing current high-profile books like the new Thor and Ms. Marvel. Well, it's also not a reboot if it's a story. If like these characters killed the other version of the character and now that's who it is. No, right? I don't think it's I don't think it's that. I think that I think this might be a way for Marvel to kind of massage things. And, and alter things, maybe bring back characters, oh, yeah. merge things together, get rid of dead weight. So it's sort of a reboot, but it still allows them to keep like the Ms. Marvel and the Thor thing going, right? right? So things aren't going to get necessarily... If Ms. Marvel successfully murders all the other versions of herself. <laughs> right. right. Sure. Yeah. So I don't know. Right now, it's like the biggest, it's the biggest story going. I all, think it's going to be a good time. All I know is that I saw the Alex Ross teaser, no joke, had Obnoxio the Clown. Yeah, saw that. What the hell? <laughs> no rules, baby. The Marvel manga verse Captain America. In other Marvel news, the publisher announced on Thursday they would be completely overhauling the Uncanny Avengers in the wake of their Access event. The news came from an exclusive reveal at comicbook.com who reported that the book will relaunch with a new number one in January written by Rick, Remen Rick Remender with art by Daniel Acuna. Here's the solicit. From the ashes of Access, an all new, all different Avengers assemble. The tragedy at the end of Axis has left the uncanny Avengers vulnerable and someone is taking advantage of it. One of the Avengers oldest foes returns with a terrible secret that will all hyperbole aside shatter the lives of two members of the squad. Except you, gotta, for that you gotta love it when they like, yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. We're just you. <laughs> what is counter earth? What terrible secrets does it house? While the creative team is familiar to the series, the makeup of the team itself will be almost completely different. Joining current team members, Rogue and the Scarlet Witch, are Sam Wilson, the new Captain America, the Vision, Quicksilver, Brother Voodoo, and Sabretooth, who will probably remain inverted following the conclusion of Access. Whatever that means. Okay, Joey, last time I checked, Brother Voodoo was dead and Sabretooth was a villain. What the hell? I don't know. I saw that teaser with, uh, I saw that cover reveal with Brother Voodoo on it, and I stopped thinking about anything else. <laughs> Brother Voodoo. I love Brother What's Voodoo. Happening? Tell you what I love. Good guy Sabretooth. I love good guy Sabretooth. I'm kind of into that idea. Oh, man. It harkens right back to Age of Apocalypse. That, yeah. that blew my mind yeah, as yeah. a kid. My question is, the current event, Uncanny Avengers was supposed to be like the, the Unity Squad, right? right? Showing humanity that humans and mutants can coexist. See, these guys are Avengers. We're all cool, bros. Never mind the fact the boss's face is all melted. Yeah, well, <laughs> listen, it happened. If you really think about it, every single person on this team has been a criminal. Yes. All of them. Yeah. The Falcon was created by Baron Zemo. The Vision was built by Ultron to spy on the Avengers. Yeah. Brother Voodoo has been bad. Uh, Sabretooth, obviously. Quicksilver, also obviously. Rogue. Scarlet Witch, Rogue. 
So this is a team of reformed villains, more or less, right? I guess, yeah. Uh, not maybe it's a stretch to call them all reformed villains. Obviously, the Falcon is a is a hero. He immediately broke free of Zemo, but you know what I mean. I don't think that this is going to be the public face of the Avengers anymore. No, it's, it's something else. There was a teaser that came out at New York Comic Con. It was Daniel Acuna, and it had uh, Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch, and it said no more mutants. And so I think that maybe this is the team that got sh- like thrown together after Axis. And because of what happened, like with the Red Skull and stuff, humanity is not going to put up with mutants bullshit anymore. <laughs> I can dig it. Sounds like fun. Uh, because, yeah, it's Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch with their backs against the wall and a spotlight shining on them. Yeah. Uh, so this, these might be like outlaws. Could be. You know, I'm kind it. of into that. Yeah. And so I think that this sounds fun, and I love the shakeup with the team. I'm very happy to see the vision. Me too, man. Anywhere. Yeah, and it's about time he popped back up. After staking their claim on several release dates earlier this summer, DC Entertainment has confirmed specific plans for at least 10 new films between 2016 and 2020. Warner Brothers CEO Kevin Sujihara Nice job. Confirmed the news as well as the casting of Jason Momoa as Aquaman. <laughs> that shit's a fish. I hate it. Flash, Cyborg, and Wonder Woman solo films, and a Green Lantern reboot. Here's the list, which does not include additional solo films for Superman and Batman, which are also in the works. Batman v Superman colon Dawn of Justice, directed by Zack Snyder for 2016. Yeah, we know. Suicide Squad, directed by Training Day writer David Ayer, also set for 2016. That's coming right up. They better get on it. Mm-hmm. Wonder Woman, starring Gal Gadot, 2017. Justice League, which will be split into two parts. So Justice League Part 1, directed by Zack Snyder, 2017. The Flash, starring Ezra Miller. We're going to talk about this in a second. 2018. Aquaman, starring Momoa, 2018. Shazam, 2019. That, I believe, is all but confirmed that The Rock is Black Adam in that one. Justice League Part 2. Also directed by Snyder, 2019. Cyborg solo film starring Ray Fisher, 2020. Newcomer Ray Fisher. And Green Lantern reboot, 2020. According to Deadline, WB is, quote, in discussions with four A-list stars for Suicide Squad. With Ryan Gosling, the current frontrunner, according to the rumor mill. Matt Bomb, gut reactions, go. Let's go in order. Batman v Superman, we'll see. What's coming? Suicide Squad. David Ayer is writing it. It says he's directing it here, too. Uh, he has directed some other stuff. We were looking at yeah, his writing he, he credits. Yeah, he directed uh, Fury, which came out. Okay, he directed Fury, came out this weekend. End of Watch, which was not bad, but got a little weird with its point of view. He seems like a perfectly talented guy. The version of the Suicide Squad we're getting is not the, the rumor, current one. The, rumored version, the rumor is that it's going to be much closer to the Ostrander 80s Suicide Squad. Which is a good thing. And, you know, I was talking to Chase Magnet about this, and he said the reason we want it to be that version instead of the current version. The current one sucks. <laughs> is that the old one is full of characters that are absolutely expendable. Oh, yeah. You can actually have existing characters and then murder them and not worry about it. Unless you're going to cast Ryan Gosling as one of them. Well, who they're not. Of course, they're like, we want Ryan Gosling. And Ryan Gosling's people are like, yeah, we'll call you now, back. Now, look, <laughs> Ryan Gosling. I just I don't buy it. Just for fun, just for fun, I found a picture of Ryan Gosling, and I photoshopped him in with a lemmy mustache and black hair. Oh God, he's and I swear to God, Floyd Lawton, he's Deadshot. <laughs> he would make an amazing Deadshot. 
plenty of people would make an amazing Deadshot. They're not going to get Ryan Gosling. Regardless, Wonder Woman, of course, you got to do a Wonder Woman movie. About time, though. Yeah. Justice League Part 1, directed by Zack Snyder. I think everyone knows how we both feel about Zack Snyder superhero films. It's going to it's gonna depend mightily on who all is introduced in of the course. Superman, Batman movie. Let's talk about The Flash. Because just as you get a Flash TV show that it seems people tend to like, yes. you steal Grant Gustin's thunder by going, here is your new Flash! Yeah, and it's Ezra a, Miller! It's a completely different actor... They didn't say who he was playing. Like, maybe it's not Barry. Maybe they're not going to do Barry Allen. They did say he's the Flash. But yeah, we don't know. Uh, Ezra Miller has been in a few things. Uh, I think the most recent thing I saw him in was uh, The Perks of Being a Wallflower. He was like the best friend. I didn't see that because I'm not a girl. It was good. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, moving right along. So I, The I, Flash is not going to pay any attention to the TV show. It's it can't, well, no, right? they, DC has going to be completely separate. DC has flat out stated on the record their film and television universes do not connect. Okay, so their film and television universes do not connect, and not even all of the television shows connect. Yeah, not all the television shows connect. Follow me on this. Therefore, the film, television shows, and comics do not connect, and vice versa. Sure. What good are you doing your comics when you do this? I'm not saying I want them to be exactly the same. What bad are they doing their comics? Well, someone says, you know, I want to come check out the Suicide Squad. I saw the movie. I really liked it. Well, that doesn't mean that the movies won't be like the comics. It just means that it won't be a shared universe like Marvel's. I, I, yeah, well, but they now, said I they want to do I think their films are shared. Their films yeah, are definitely, shared. Definitely. Just not their TV shows. I, I don't know. Anyway, moving along. Aquaman starring Jason Momoa. I don't like that <laughs> casting at all. A, it just doesn't work. I honestly don't care. I, it doesn't work. I like Jason Momoa, and we'll see. I think... I'm I sure think he's a it, nice guy, and he's pretty good as a grunting badass, but he's not a good actor. I think it is nothing short of a miracle that Aquaman is getting a solo movie. Uh, my prediction, if all of these come out, that one will be the lowest grossing film. <laughs> okay, sure. Shazam, which we don't know much about other than The Rock's going to be Black Adam. Who else do you get to play Black Adam? I'm into it. Yeah, come on. Justice League Part 2, again, we'll see. Cyborg, I think is interesting because they're like they're really pumping Cyborg. And I think that's fun. And I think that's credit to DC for trying to promote a little diversity by raising up some of their Sure. Uh, Cyborg's been around for a long time and there's and no reason he's why he's long overdue to be a headliner. There's no reason why Cyborg can't be, yeah, a headlining character, a kick-ass character. I and mean, and he's the new RoboCop. And Cyborg's story is really cool. So, but if he appears in Superman versus Batman and the Justice League movies by the time Yeah, 5 years from now. By the time the Cyborg solo movie comes around, they won't have to waste any time with an origin. Yeah. You know, they just roll right into a fun Cyborg action movie. Speaking of wasting time with origins, the reboot of Green Lantern in 2020. That's five years. Yes, uh, but by the time it comes out, it will have been nine years removed from the Ryan Reynolds. Which, fine. I, I mean, whatever. It's a long time to reboot Green Lantern. I mean, I would think you could do it in there somewhere. They, they didn't wait that long for Spider-Man between three and one. Yeah, I think they absolutely have to yeah, you don't reboot have a, Green Lantern. You don't have a choice. They f***ed it up so bad. I don't think it'll be Hal Jordan. I mean, who knows? It, 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 we're too far out to even guess. Yeah. It seems that Marvel and DC, their corporate structure runs very differently in Big the time. sense that Disney controls everything from the top down and all of the uh, little companies under the WB umbrella do their own thing. And Might then not even know that they're under the same umbrella. And then funnel up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Warner Brothers, the film studio is like, this is what we're doing. Warner Brothers TV is doing their own shit. Yeah. And that's one way to do it. I personally 
think it's a huge mistake to have different versions of the character competing that's what for I was, screen time. That's what I was saying when I was saying, I, okay, I this one do. is different than this one, and then this one is different than this one, and all three are completely different from each other. Well, the comics obviously won't be in lockstep with the films, but and I get the TV that. and the movies, they... I get that. That's, but it's that's crazy to me. I don't think that's good for any of these properties. I think that's confusing, and I think getting into comics, whether it's in TV or movies or, you know, in paper version, is difficult enough as it is. Yeah. This is going to make it even more confusing. I think the only way it can be sort of palatable is if it's a completely different character if it's not barry allen like if it's wally or something hell maybe it'll even be jay garrick but <laughs> who knows it's puzzling to me the fact that their shows from network to network are also different that constantine doesn't fit in with arrow and, yeah. and the flash that this titans show that's going to be on cable is going to be completely separate from everything else who knows where and when gotham is taking place <laughs> That's their right. That's their plan, such as it is. Hey, I find it baffling. It is their actual multiverse. You know what? <laughs> That's what it is. I bet this makes Keith Silva giddy because continuity doesn't mean <laughs> in the DC Cinematic Universe. <laughs> there you go. That is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed. Hit us up on the THN forums where Joe and I have already started a petition demanding Crocodile Dundee star Paul Hogan gets cast as Captain Boomerang. Who else do you put in there? Oh, for real, though, the rumor is that it's Tom Hardy. <laughs> hate it. And they won't get Tom Hardy for that. Hate it? What do you mean, hate it? Nah, they won't get him. Nice. That's a knife. Every Sunday, my wallaby hunting partner, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week in the THN forums. Joe. What are we asking the listeners this week? This week's question. Courtesy of Black Scorpion the Third. That's what we decided. Not Black Scorpion 3. Black Scorpion Jr. Jr. Black Scorpion Jr. is his father. <laughs> On our forums, what is your favorite? Please, Black Scorpion is my grandfather's name. Just call. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite analog of an iconic character or team at a rival company? Now, here's what we mean by that. Every company has their own version of Captain America or Superman. Comics are full of characters like that that are inspired by others. Samaritan in sure. Astro City. Sure. Um, well, don't name a bunch. The Fighting American. They get it. Right? Don't name you a You know bunch. what I mean. We don't want to take anybody's answer. I'm trying to name ones that probably won't get named. Sure. Iron Lantern. That's an amalgam. Oh, no. yeah. Pardon me. Uh, I mean, that he was an amalgam. <laughs> <laughs> Here is Black Scorpion's example. Marvel's Squadron Supreme, a team full of thinly veiled analogs of DC characters. Squadron Supreme has been used to tell some great stories that simply could not be told about their DC inspirations. Brutal stuff. Very fun. So I picture Black Scorpion wearing a jacket like Gosling wore in Drive. Satin with an embroidered scorpion. I know exactly what you mean. In gold I, on the back. I, I've seen know? Drive. You have until 5 p.m. this coming Friday, October 24th, to get us your answers. You can call and leave a message with your answer using Skype. The Skype panel is two-headed nerd, all one word. Or you can call the Ziggurat hotline 402-819-4894. You can also send an MP3 to two-headed at gmail.com. In all of those scenarios, keep it under three minutes. The shorter, the better, honestly. The closer there are to so two, many calls. The closer to two, the more we like it. If you don't, you will get cut off. If you need more time than that, feel free to write your full answer in the question of the week section of the THN forums. That's where this question came from. 
Hey, it's review time on THN where Matt and I stop pretending like we've been Royals fans all along and give our in-depth analysis of two of this week's comics. Matt, why don't you tell the kids about the death of Wolverine? I'll have you know that the only Major League Baseball game I've ever been to was a Kansas City Royals game. Okay, cool story, Joe Patrick. I reviewed the death of Wolverine, number four from Marvel. It's written by Charles Soule, and I'm tired of people calling him Soleil because that's not his name, with art by Steve McNiven. This was 40 pages for the low, low price of $4.99. This is it. The death of the old knucklehead. For reals. No take backsies. No scrolls. No LMDs. This is the honest to gosh end of the meanest varmint to ever pop his claws in the Marvel U. I'm going full spoilers here because there's just no other way to talk about this story. Yes, it took us a while to get here. There was three solid months of the almost death of Wolverine before we got to the four weeks of the actual death of Wolverine. But come on. You didn't actually think he was going to choke on a chicken bone and keel over in one issue, did you? No. The death of Wolvie was grueling, ugly, full of his greatest villains, and ultimately led him straight back to the man that made him who he was. Look, I'm not an idiot, and this ain't my first dead superhero rodeo. I fully realize Wolvie will be back, possibly just in time for Christmas. But the timing of this book and the ending of the Fantastic Four comic does lend even more credibility than Marvel putting comics with film licenses at other production companies' conspiracy on hold. But I digress. Marvel came out and said that's bullshit. The X-Men are all up in Secret Wars. I, I know. Love him or hate him, you have to admit, Mark Millar writes one hell of an epic Wolvie story. And while writer Child Soul wasn't doing a Millar impersonation here, there were moments that very much reminded me of Old Man Logan and other Millar and Wolvie hits. The fact that Steve McNiven drew the comic probably helped that even more. Probably. McNiven seems to have moved past the role of comic book artist into the realm of show-off. He packs so much depth and realism into his panels that you sometimes forget somebody drew this. The guy is a master, and I can't think of anyone better to illustrate the last moments of Wolvie's life. I admit, when I found out that the guy who was gunning for Wolvie was Abraham Cornelius, the scientist who gave him his adamantium, I did find it a little too poetic. But I was already in by this point, although you have to wonder how a scientist gets a hold of a samurai demon like Ogun and then gets him slash it to agree to work for them. Like, do you call Ogun? Does he have a cell phone? <laughs> he probably has a cell phone. But again, these are comics. I get it. All in all, this was a big, splashy and beautiful event comic written with class and drawn by one of the best in the business. I am so glad Marvel gave a guy like Charles Soule this chance. My only real complaint is is why has he not been writing Wolvie for the last two years? When it comes down to the end, I didn't even realize that we hadn't seen Wolvie pop his claws for the last three issues. I looked it up. At first, I thought it was two. Soul gave us one last snicked, and Wolvie goes out in a flood of liquid adamantium. The final page features Wolvie encased in the metal in the iconic pose drawn by Jim Lee, from the cover of Uncanny X-Men 234, the one where he's turning into a brood. This was just so good. <laughs> it's just, it was fun. It was dumb. It was a cheesy Wolverine, like, Western story with a great end. I loved this. and I'm giving it a buy it. It was a great send-off for the character. I tell you my favorite, my favorite part of the book, and again, we're in spoiler territory. Wolverine has slashed open the vats of adamantium, and he's used the glowing magical juice to save the people that were being experimented on instead of saving himself. Healing serum or whatever, yeah. Yeah, like Cornelius had invented a healing serum to give to people to try to make new Wolverines, essentially. Right. 
And instead of using it on himself, he used it to save those people. And he crawled out and he didn't even kill Cornelius. No. Cornelius just died. Drops dead. From his own injuries. And as Wolverine is lurching from the building, they have adamantium slowly cooling and Cornelius slowly bleeding out. Cornelius is ranting. I, I tried to do something with my life. I tried to I tried to make up for my mistakes. I tried to do something good. What have you ever done? What did you do? Yeah. And then the next two page spread is this silent, like little panels of like flashes from Wolverine's life. Yeah. Like fighting the like, hand. Fighting the hand. Yeah. Uh, almost marrying Mariko, teaching at the school, <laughs> kissing Jean Grey. And I'm gonna tell you what, I got a little misty. Yeah, me too, man. <laughs> me too. They go back to that thing that they were doing early in the series where the captions illustrate what he's feeling. Right. And as he like kneels down in his last moments, the caption just says enough. Yeah, and he's like on a cliff overlooking the Nevada desert. Yeah. You know, oh man. <laughs> it was beautiful. Yeah. What a great way for him to die. It was know? just when you hear that they're going to do the death of Wolverine, you think one of two things, you probably think two things you think one, okay, it's going to be pretty mindless. Right. And two, it's going to be a pretty violent, Way to go. Right. And this was not that. It was unexpected. Wolverine went out a hero. Yeah. You know, he didn't get his head cut off. He didn't even murder the villain. He didn't go to hell. In terms of comic book deaths, which we all agree are gimmicks, this was a good one. Yeah, I'm giving it a buy it as well. It, it caught me off guard. I, I was expecting it to be... Charles Soule, man. A completely throwaway, you know, slash fest. And it was really full of heart. Yeah. Uh, Wolverine got to take a little tour of his life. You get to hit all of his greatest hits with the villains and Kitty Pride. Yeah. Him and Kitty Pride fighting Ogun in Japan. Kitty Pride and Wolverine is one of the best comic book miniseries ever written. They don't revisit their friendship enough. Right. Here is my number one question. Okay. In the same week that the uh, death issues, that the death issue happened, two aftermath issues came out. One was Storm and one was Death of Wolverine, the Logan legacy. Okay. I did not read either. How do these people know to grieve and go get his body? Right. <laughs> and like, I couldn't stop thinking about it this week. I'm like, how the hell did they know he was dead already? It happened off panel. It was like, in their Facebook feed. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I really liked Wolverine's it. Wolverine's living status was changed to deceased. <laughs> it's complicated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Joe Patrick, tell me about something a little less complicated. The Thrilling Adventure Hour presents Sparks Nevada and Beyond Belief, number zero. Let's start with... What is the Thrilling Adventure Hour? Okay, I'll tell you. So this is this comic was put out by Work Juice Corp, which is the company that makes the Thrilling Adventure Hour. It was written by Ben Acker and Ben Blacker, <coughs> with art by Jay Bone or Jabone. Jabone. And Phil Hester, colors by Jordi Belair and John Rauch. The Thrilling Adventure Hour is a staged production in the style of old time radio. And it's held monthly at a theater in Los Angeles uh, called The Largo. Uh, the show's been running since March of 2005, and they started podcasting under the Nerdist umbrella in 2011. I like to think we influenced them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sparks Nevada, Marshall on Mars, and Beyond Belief are two of their longest-running segments now in comic form in two stories that act as preludes to next year's launch from Image Comics. Marshall on Mars is exactly what it sounds like. It's a sci-fi Western that's more cowboys and robots than cowboys and Indians. 
There's Indians there, though. They're Martians. Well, they're Martians. Yeah, it's, yeah cowboys and Martians, I guess I should well, they're say. they're the native Martians. Right. You know what I mean? Beyond Belief features a martini-sipping husband and wife team of paranormal investigators. I've heard of the Thrilling Adventure Hour. I've been curious about it for a little while, and my curiosity was piqued when Image announced that they'd be bringing these podcasts to comics. It's like if they decided to take the Prairie Home Companion and give us a comic book version of it. Right. <laughs> you know? Which would be a slow read. I would love it. Coming soon from Image Comics, The Untold Tales of the Two-Headed Nerd. That you heard it here first. No, I see. Actually, you're never going to draw it. So. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, it's only tough. in my heart. I'll see if J-Bones are available. <laughs> but then I heard about the talent involved in the project. I knew I had to check it out. Ben Acker and Ben Blacker have a small but varied list of co uh, comic credits to their name. I've enjoyed everything I've read by the duo, notably the Deadpool annual from a while back that explained why Deadpool had voices in his head and where they went. Jay Bone has been killing it recently on The Saviors with James Robinson. Of course, my love of Phil Hester knows no bounds. The art is really good on The Saviors, I'll say that. This is actually two separate 12-page prequel comics that you can buy individually for $1.99 each or together for $2.99 directly from the creators. The savings of $4, I think. Yeah, I think, I think that so. your math is sound. I think you buy them both. Yeah, yeah. To me, springing for the two-pack was a no-brainer. Save four bucks. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Sparks, Nevada tells the story of how the titular sheriff met his deputy, Croach. Nevada is a country music cliche, constantly, li lament constantly lamenting about the woman that left him. It's super fun, wonderfully drawn in Bones cartoony style. The real draw, though, for me was Beyond Belief, which tells the tale of the first meeting between Frank Doyle and the future Mrs. Sadie Doyle. Sadie accompanies her boyfriend to a fake seance that becomes a little too real, and Frank arrives to combat the supernatural menace that's released into the world. Even though the occult is new to her, Sadie proves herself every bit as capable and unflappable as Frank, and the two hit it off immediately, much to the chagrin of Sadie's original date, Bobo Brubaker. <laughs> Who I have since listened to Beyond Belief in podcast form, and Bobo Brubaker is this total like, you're harshing my vibes, dude. <laughs> like he talks like a California hippie. Okay. It's hilarious. Like with the first story, there's an undeniable charm present in the story and in the dialogue. I could almost hear the actors, Paul F. Tompkins and Paget Brewster, reciting the lines. Phil Hester's art shines like it does with anything supernatural. And the soft colors by John Rausch bathe the story in an otherworldly glow. I thought the second story was gorgeous. It was really pretty. Like, the first one was good. Yeah. The second one was beautiful. Like I said earlier, I'd never really checked out the show before I read this, but the first thing I did when I was done was download a bunch of the episodes. A staged radio play recreated as a comic book. The idea is weird. It totally works, though. These stories are a perfect fit for the comic medium, and I loved them both. It doesn't matter if you're familiar with the show or whether you enjoy radio dramas. These are essentially continuity-free. If you like comics that are just fun, then this was an absolute buy-it for me. I'm with you, and this is one of those things that could have really easily fallen on its face, especially when you have professional stand-up comedians delivering these lines so fast on stage. It just works in podcast form. Without this kind of quality creative team behind it, it may not have worked at all. They nailed it here and it really just stacked word balloons on top of each other. Yeah. And it was just ridiculous. My when the robots are trying to tell the sheriff why they're coming, like why they're revolting. <laughs> like, and then, listen, I just, we, <laughs> yeah, we could be friends.
feds too, you know. They're like, <laughs> I suppose you're wondering why beca- why we became, you know, sentient. He's like, nope. And they're like, well, let me tell you why. And he's like, I wasn't thinking that at all. <laughs> you know, like, hey, if you're trying to do this, uh, I know what you're thinking. I'm thinking you're thinking uh, I'm not thinking that, you know. And they were just so stacked up so fast. My, my and favorite. it totally worked. Yeah. My favorite part of the first story was the last page where this is a joke that obviously works so much better spoken aloud. Right. But the idea that Sparks can't pronounce the name of his new friend. Croach. C-R-O-A-C-H. And so the panel is just like word balloon over word balloon as they go back and forth. It's the same f-ing word. Yeah, they're basically the Lone Ranger and Tonto. Yeah. And it's like Croach, 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 Croach. <laughs> and I'm sure like he's saying crotch, right? But I haven't gotten to that podcast, I so I'm not sure. I think it's even funnier if they're both just saying crouch. Okay. <laughs> like, like, he is correcting him over and over and over. <laughs> right. And then finally he just gives up. Yeah. And finally and Marsh guy goes, no. No. And then it's like, that was my favorite joke because that is obviously an audio joke, yet somehow they pulled it off yeah. in written form. They That's crazy. This. They really stuck this and it's a difficult thing to stick. I'm giving a huge buy it too. I will say this. Uh, the difference between something like this and something like uh, adapting, for example, the Predator movies right. or any movie, really, is that with radio dramas, it's all audio. And so the picture is all in the imagination. Right. So which so when lends it comes itself to the artist. So when it to bringing it to life, they have carte blanche. Yeah. Like, you don't have to worry about, like, well, it doesn't look like Tobey Maguire right. or whatever, right? Right. And... It worked out so much better than I was expecting. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. I can't the 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 number ones proper, they're they're doing both of these as series through image. And they come out in February. Absolutely can't wait. Okay. So that is a double buy it for the death of Wolverine number four and for both of the thrilling adventure hour presents zero issues. Of course, we want to know what you dead Canadians and old-timey radio show hosts thought of these comics. So hit us up over at the THN forums, which you can find by clicking the forum button at twittednerd.com. Don't get us wrong. We're pleased as punch to see the Royals go to the World Series. Even more pleased to have a postseason without the Yankees or Red Sox. But let's get real, people. The Giants are averaging 4.8 runs per game to the Royals, two. This could be a quick one. So instead, Joe and I are hosting a best of five battle royale, pitting some of our favorite comic book giants versus comic book royalty. So join us ringside at the Ziggurat Thunderdome. We're getting a lot of mileage out of that thing because it was expensive to build. Yeah. Where King Namor of Atlantis will take on Black Goliath in bout one, kicked off by our quick pregame show where Joe and I review 10 of this week's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round! Ludicrous Speed! Go! Q2, The Return of Quantum and Woody, number one, from Valiant. I was really excited for this book, and it didn't disappoint, but it was 100% set up with very little to hook in a new reader. I just so happened to be a huge fan of the original series, and this felt like a homecoming for Christopher Priest and Mark Bright, but I can't honestly say that it's a great read for someone with no connection to the characters. Hopefully it'll ramp up into something really special now that the setup is over. For now, skim it. 
Trinity of Sin, number one from DC. I really don't care for the direction DC has taken with the Phantom Stranger or the question, and I can't believe they have not revealed the Pandora is Sister Zealot from Wildcats yet. That's because Zealot already appeared. Oh, really? Yes. So she just happens to look exactly like her. She was in the Deathstroke book, uh, drawn by Rob Liefeld. I forgot. <laughs> Regardless, the first issue seems to be setting up something big, but it got lost in a ton of exposition from each of the Trinity, narrating and comparing their sins ad nauseum. It was a very pretty mess with art by the very talented Evel Guiche. Is his name Evel or Evel? I have no clue. Evil Guichet, drawing some bonkers demons with names that were even more bonkers. I suppose it makes sense to have all these characters under the same roof if their perpetual status quo is going to be sinning and fighting their sin. But haven't readers already given up on this group twice now? I was going to give it a skim it. I think I'm giving it a leave it. I just can't even tell you what happened. I picked it up and I was going to put it in my five. And when I found five better books, I gladly put it down. It was a mess. <laughs> I was happy to not have to read it. Original Sin Annual number one from Marvel. Marvel's latest event lumbers on with a story about the man on the wall before Nick Fury, which was arguably the most interesting aspect of Original Sin. <laughs> Absolutely. But was anyone really asking for more of it? Jason Latour does an admirable job with the script, and the art by Ennis Sizik has a fun Nick Patara kind of vibe to it. But I just can't muster up the desire to care about a story tying into a completed event that I didn't think was very good in the first place. Skim it. Sleepy Hollow, number one from Boom. Boom seems to have the TV tie-in formula figured out, and the creative team does a solid job capturing the voices of the two stars here. Jorge Coelho's art is a spooky joy, and aside from the cheesy way the duo bests the supernatural baddies, I had fun with this one. There's a really cute Noel Stevenson two-page comic at the end, too. He he kind of heartwarming. It was adorable. <laughs> we'll see how much any of this has to do with the new season starting this week, but I guess for now, it's a buy-it. Edge of Spider-Verse, number five from Marvel. Umbrella Academy writer and <laughs> musician Gerard Way finished up this miniseries with the anime-inspired story of a young girl that merges with a living spider and a mech suit to become a superhero. An unpronounceably named superhero. Really? SP backslash backslash DR. Oh, it's like her the, right. like call letters for the receiver. Sure, right. Okay. I thought this was totally awesome. Way is right at home with this type of story, and the art by Jake Wyatt is really nice. Yeah, he looked good. Huge buy it. Also, Spider-Ham, the evil within number one from Titan Comics. This video game prequel basically starts with two women running out of gas in the first panel. And then, running from scary stuff. Oh, so it's a horror movie. One of the girls disappears, and cue the creepy hospital patients, and a big guy with a TV on his head, and they chase our hero, and then some other guy comes out of nowhere. This had all the hallmarks of a video game intro, lots of running, scary monsters, broken, spooky hospital settings, and dumb names for places like Crimson City General, but Crimson was spelled with a K. Oh, and there was no story. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think any of the characters even had names. <laughs> Very scary art, though, by Alex Sanchez. Leave it. <laughs> Here's a pro tip. If you come across a city called Crimson City and it's filled with a K, yeah, don't, don't live there. Don't go there, period. Yeah. Skylanders, number one from IDW. I love a good all-ages comic. This was not a good all-ages comic. That isn't to say that kids won't go bonkers for it, but unlike great all-ages books like Lumberjanes, this doesn't make any effort to reach beyond its target demographic. Plus, thanks to a tip from Camarillo Brillo, 
I found out that these first few issues are just reprints of the same material from the recent hardcover release. Oh. Lame. Oh, and no mention of it. None. In really? fact, it says definitively in the solicit for either the hardcover or this issue that you can't find these stories anywhere else. Nah, kids are idiots. What Untrue. Do what do they know? Still, I can't deny that there's probably a huge audience out there for it. Skim it. And be careful you don't double up on material. Props to Cameron Labrillo for keeping track of our Skylanders continuity. Yeah, that's right. Your kid <laughs> is going to be that. pissed if you get him the same thing twice. People get pissed at me when I say I don't know what it is. They're like, you're lying. I, apparently, it's huge. Flash Gordon, number six from Dynamite. Been meaning to check in with this one again since I've read issue one. Writer Jeff Parker and artist Evan Shaner are pitch perfect here, adapting the Golden Age Flash Gordon. In this issue, Dale has to free Flash and Doc Zarkov from the sexy Skyrens who want to mate with them and can control any male with their beautiful song. You've got Bumbling Hawkman, Voltan shows up. He looks just like the fat dude from the Flash Gordon movie of the 70s. Shaner is doing his best Alex Toth impersonation. This book is fun. It's fun to look at. It's just great stuff. Gigantic buy it. It's nice to know Dynamite can get some of these old properties right every once in a while. I blame the creative team. Uncle Grandpa, number one from Kaboom! Speaking of books that don't reach beyond their target demographic, Uncle Grandpa is the latest nonsensical animated series to make the jump to comic form. There are a couple of fun meta jokes here and one really lovely silent story that I quite enjoyed, but the rest of the book is so mind-bogglingly bizarre that I can't really tell you if I liked it or not. Yeah, you gotta watch the cartoon. This one's probably for fans of the show only. Definitely. Skim it. Justice League 35 from DC. I had a little trouble jumping back in on this one. This happens in the wake of Villains Forever. Lex Luthor is a good guy now. He's been forced onto the Justice League by the public, of the, essentially. Or he blackmailed his way onto the Justice League? One of the two. I don't know. But we see Wayne Corp and Lex Corp coming together in a huge merger. Bruce doesn't trust Lex. Lex doesn't trust Bruce. Doug Mankey's art is very pretty. The first few pages by Ivan Rice are a little uneven. I will say... I feel like they just needed him to fill in and he crap, crap something out. Could be. I will say this wasn't terrible, and it did interest me. And I might check out a little more. I don't know anything about this Power Ring character. From what I understand, it's a leftover of the Power Ring from the Prime Syndicate dying and finding a new owner. Yeah, it's not sure spinning why, out of Forever Evil. Not sure why a Green Lantern isn't there. Regardless, this was not bad at all. Give it a strong skim it, just because I didn't really know what was going on. Green Lantern has not been in the Justice League for quite some time. I did not know that. Scrang! That is your ludicrous speed round, and scrang is the sound of a young girl flipping a truck, as seen in this week's issue of Sleepy Hollow, number one. A big truck! Big truck. Supernatural stuff, let me tell you. After a string of announcements from Marvel that they were planning on rehashing almost every one of their old events, Matt and I enlisted the help of our favorite Martian, John Jones, the Martian Manhunter. Not the other my favorite Martian. No, no. To get to the bottom of this nonsense. So join us as we mind meld with the Manhunter and project ourselves into the pizza buffet that is the psyche of Joe Quesada. That's not fair. He's lost a lot of weight. Hey, I'm not saying he hasn't. Dude loves pizza. To figure out just what the hell he's planning, and is Atlantis Attacks next? Uh, we can only hope. Matt, while we're floating through Joey Q's brain, why don't we grab a slice and talk about what we're excited to read next week? This pepperoni mushrooms is to die for, mm. let me tell you. Next week, I'm excited for 13 Coins, number one from Titan, 
written by Martin Brennan with art by Simon Bisley. Here's a solicit from Eisner Award winning artist Simon Bisley and the screenwriters of Hitman Absolution, which was a terrible, terrible movie. Comes the story of a Sounds new like superhero. A great pick. <laughs> the story of John Posner, a tormented ex-con on a quest for vengeance when he discovers that he is descended from angels and is the living key to Earth's future or heaven's fall. Here's why I'm picking it. Okay. Love Simon Bisley. Yep. Did not care for Hitman Absolution, the movie, of course. But I feel like if you put that in anyone's hands, you still have a stinger. You can't. We have yet to see a good video game movie. It just doesn't exist. The Wizard. Okay, that was not a video game first. That was a video game themed movie. <laughs> Starring Matt's close personal friend, Jenny Lewis. I'm talking about an adaptation <laughs> of a video game. There, Doom the movie starring The Rock. There, no, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> there are zero. House ones. of the Dead. <coughs> starring that wo woman that played Lois Lane on Smallville. Joe Patrick, what is your pick for next week? I'm running out of video game movies. All the Resident Evil movies. I love those Resident Evil oh, movies. God, they're so bad. I mean, they're not good as adaptations, no, but they're, they're super fun. But you've got to admit, it's cheeseburger bull. So what? <laughs> of course, that's what I want. My pick for next week is Memetic, number one from Boom Studios. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that right. Memetic. This is written by James Tynan IV with art by Eric Donovan. Here's your solicit. A meme is an idea that starts with an individual and then spreads throughout multiple persons and potentially entire societies. Richard Dawkins suggests a meme's success comes from its effectiveness to the host, but history shows that destructive memes can spread just as rapidly through society. Memetic shows the progression of a weaponized meme that leads to the utter annihilation of the human race within 72 hours. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the ring mixed with lolcats. It's like a yeah, keyboard cat destroyed America. <laughs> the root of this apocalypse is a single image on the internet, a meme in the popular sense, a meme that changes everything. Memetic is truly an event comic. Three oversized 48-page issues detailing the end of the world over the course of three days and a wholly unique take on the disaster genre I really hope it's the Randy Orton takedown vines that have been going around <laughs> that ends the world. Those have been f***ing awesome. This is why I picked this book. This was announced by Boom a while ago. Months ago, yeah. And they put out that image of that sloth. Yeah, with the swirl. In the 3D colored <laughs> hypno like a, swirl. A smiling sloth. And ever since I saw that, it is like I have been literally hypnotized. It's genius. And I have to know what this is about. I don't even know if I'm going to like it. I don't even know if I like what this genre is, whatever it is. But I'm so curious. I had to make it my pick. It's going to be fun. The THN trade of the week goes to the complete Quantum and Woody classic omnibus from Valiant Entertainment, written mostly by Christopher Priest, illustrated mostly by M.D. Bright. Here's the solicit. The seminal series by Christopher Priest and M.D. Bright collected in its entirety for the very first time with more than 50 pages of extras and bonus material. Sometimes the best friends make the worst partners. Once inseparable childhood friends, Eric Henderson and Woody Van Chelten haven't seen each other in years. Reunited by the mysterious deaths of their research scientist fathers, the unlikely duo find themselves stuck together all over again when a catastrophic lab accident transforms their bodies into pure energy. Energy that will completely dissipate if they don't clang their control bands together every 24 hours. Now, Armed with an array of high-tech gadgets and two horribly mismatched personalities. Just like us. And a goat for a sidekick. Just like us. 
This pair of misfits has decided to set the world straight as the world's worst superhero team, Quantum and Woody, if they can manage to quit fighting each other first. The rest of this list is a bunch of promo yeah, stuff. Yeah. So essentially, this is everything Quantum and Woody has ever been in, including uh, issues of like Exo Manor, um, weird tie-in stuff, uh, a special that's starring the goat. Yeah. Uh, that's not drawn by Mark Bright. I think Charlie Adler drew it. Yeah, he, I think Young it was. Charlie Adler. And it was great. So this is the perfect package for people to see what the hell Matt and I have been talking about ever since they brought back Quantum and Woody. The whole shebang. This is everything, and I'm very excited. It's 100 bucks. It's an omnibus, though. It's oversized. It's thick as hell. Totally worth it. Absolutely. You've got to check it out. I bet they sell 10 of these. <laughs> Dude, they made a grand. A baker's dozen. <laughs> if you love pizza as much as Joey Q, then grab a slice and let us know what you're looking forward to reading over at the THN Forum. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. My, 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 X-Peeps hit me so hard, makes me say, oh my lord, thank you for blessing me with a mutant force field you can't beat, it feels good, being down with Factor 3, a D-list mutant from Milan, Italy, the Brotherhood knows me as such, and this is the media you can't touch. I told you, Wolverine. You can't touch this. That's how Unis do it, and you know. You can't touch this. Look at my force field, man. You can't touch this. Unis the Untouchable, y'all. You can't touch this. Unis the Untouchable, indeed. Crushed by his own force field. Really? I think that's how he died. That What a dumb way to die. Yeah. Well, we can only assume this rap was written in his glory days. Yeah. And when we're rapping like that, it means the comic pushers are back, slinging highly addictive comics to nerdy junkies everywhere. This week, a relapsing comic addict named Stanford Harvey Jr. He sounds important. Maybe like filthy, stinking Oxford rich or something, right? I don't know. He asks, I got out of comics from 2000 to 2005. What did I miss? And what should I track down and read? Joe Patrick, this is your wheelhouse, baby. The early 2000s, <laughs> this is where Joe Patrick, you should have seen this guy. Listen. He was like, strutting around like the king of the nerds. I was king of the nerds back then. <laughs> I was drunk with power for How my new comic shop employee appointment. Wow. How far we've fallen. I know, right? Tell him what he missed, Joe. But first, let's fire up the THN time machine to take us back to the early 2000s. So I made a list of what I think are some must-read series from the first five years of the 2000s. It's pretty heavy on superhero stuff. Obviously, I am a superhero guy. For me, this was like a wonderful time for superhero comics. So my first suggestion is going to be Jeff Johns' early DC work. Yeah. Especially his runs on The Flash and JSA. Oh, buddy. Two of my favorite comic book runs of all time. Jeff Johns took over The Flash from Mark Wade, who had also had a very lengthy run prior to him. Wally West was The Flash at the time. My favorite comic book character. And when Wade left, it was uh, easy to worry that this new guy was going to come in and, yeah. and not be able to carry the ball. And he... Nailed it and added so much 
more to the Flash. Was that really the first time we met Scott Collins too? First time Scott Collins really came into his own. Like He'd been around. Yeah. yeah, but like major, here is your monthly book. Yeah. Go get him, Scotty. Absolutely. Uh, JSA, hard to believe, but I think I like JSA even more. It is when we get misty-eyed and talk about yeah. DC losing its legacy, this is the book that's A, number one in my mind. Uh, it is the story of the Justice Society from the 40s, some of whom are still alive due to reasons. Comic books, y'all. Yeah. Reinventing the team with an infusion of new blood uh, legacy characters, like characters that picked up the mantle from from fathers or you know even unrelated characters in some cases. Uh, the original, Jack Knight Starman's the there. Green Lantern. The Android Hourman is there. Black Canary is there. Power Girl. Hawkman. Uh, Hawkman. The return of Hawkman after many, many years of being yeah. in continuity limbo. Yeah. Wildcat. JS- who is Wildcat. Just, where is Wildcat? Wildcat is one of my favorites. But this is a wonderful series. A wonderful series about superhero mentors that have seen it all kind of bringing up the, the new generation. Right. And, and how like that golden age like dumb, happy, good guy can still be relevant today oh. and do the work, even in the face of like the most terrifying villains in the world. Absolutely. Ugh. And so JSA is just a wonderful series from start to eh, almost the end. <laughs> yep. Start to almost finish. <laughs> when Jeff Johns departed the book briefly to do some big event stuff, later it was relaunched, but that was after 2005. So on the Marvel side, Bendis's early work, Brian Michael Bendis's early Marvel work, especially Ultimate Spider-Man, which launched in the year 2000, and Daredevil, which he took over, I believe, in 2002. I think that's right. And he had lengthy runs. Bendis is still writing Ultimate Spider-Man today, still. So 14 years later, his Daredevil run ran like 80 issues or something? Uh, No, he took over with issue, I think, 26. Something like that. So it ran maybe 60 issues. Right wonderful crime amazing stuff gritty stuff really amazing stuff taking daredevil back to the frank miller inspired roots street level uh a lot of like legal stuff we got to see him not only as daredevil we got to see matt murdoch the lawyer and how his real life affects his superhero life right and And a lot basically you get to see the two eat away at each other until the character is virtually destroyed right with in a, a good way. Yeah, in a good way. With amazing art by Alex Maleve. Alex Maleve, yeah. Wow. And a lot of what Mark Wade is currently doing in Daredevil is built a directly on the back of what Definitely. Bendis started. Definitely. Bendis also did some indie stuff around that time that's worth checking out. Jinx. Yeah. Uh, Goldfish. Well, those were all like 90s. They were reprinted in the early 2000s. Yeah, I think it's ballpark, though, yeah. right? Like, the Caliber um, stuff came out late 90s, and then Image reprinted a bunch of them. Those are the books that got Bendis in the door at oh, Marvel. Yeah. Powers launched in the early 2000s. Oh, yeah, that's still right. Still going today, about that's to right. become a show on the PlayStation Network. Ooh. A weird <laughs> a weird adaptation, yeah. but... Uh, not the show you want to see show? Well, maybe. <laughs> it might be good. Calm down. Oh. But yeah, so Bendis' early work from that two, from the 2000s, this, this is what started him on the path to where he is today, essentially the guardian of the Marvel Universe, right? Kind of, right? The spiritual guardian, right. if you will. Uh, two Vertigo books that kind of rejuvenated the line after the end of its long-running, very famous books like Preacher, Sandman, Transmet. I'm talking about Fables by Bill Willingham and Mark Buckingham, and oh, Why the man. Last Man... By Brian K. Vaughn and Pia Guerra. I forgot Fable started back then. Both of them launched in the same year, 2002. 
2002, great year for comic books. Well, and Fables is one of those things where everybody read, I remember the solicit coming out, and people going, that sounds dumb. And then we read issue one and went, holy shit, this is going to be great. Well, <laughs> I'll tell you what, the first story arc in Fables is kind of a boilerplate murder mystery. Sort of. And it's, it's good. But it's not exceptional. The second storyline is where Mark Buckingham took over the art, just elevated that book into something absolutely really special. Still going today, about to come to its conclusion after, you know, 10 plus years. I can't do that, man. Why the Last Man was a five-year-long series, 60 issues by Brian K. Vaughn and Pia Guerra, uh, about um, the one man that survives an apocalypse that kills everyone with a Y chromosome on Earth. A disease, basically. A plague. Yeah, a, disease, a plague. Uh, every man and animal with a Y chromosome, except for York Brown and his monkey ampersand. Yep. And so the story is of how humanity survives and how he is, of course, essential to that survival and what has to be done to protect him. Meanwhile, he searches for his girlfriend. Ugh. You know, this... Uh, it's Such a so story. good and it's been perpetually in movie development for the past at least 12 years it's done it's over the rights reverted back to the creators good it's over good yeah that's great so two can't miss books from vertigo another dc book gotham central by ed brubaker yeah man greg rucka and michael lark again launching in 2002 gotham central is set obviously in the batman universe but it's about the police precinct in gotham city run by Commissioner Gordon. There are many police precincts in a city as big as Gotham, but Gotham Central is the main hub, and it is like the one bastion of like uncorrupt <laughs> right. cops that actually care about doing their jobs. It's the story of doing your job in a completely corrupt city. Well, not only a corrupt city, but a city where you might get hit by a freeze ray. Right. On the like responding to a domestic violence call. It is the story that you wish Gotham the TV show was. Yeah, it's absolutely. What it is beautifully drawn by michael lark you wonderful and stuff. stefano Gaudino. Wonderful stuff so great gotham central again it ran i want to say like 40 some issues so it's like 35 to 40 or something like that yeah it kind of petered out after infinite crisis it had some infinite crisis tie-ins and characters died but it's a <laughs> and one turned into the specter <sighs> yeah <laughs> that was a whole thing <laughs> but it's a great run a wonderful run my final pick though there are many we had to you know this is short. We got to narrow it down. Five years, man. All right. Uh, Black Panther by Christopher Priest. Oh, yeah. Uh, originally drawn, a, a host of artists, really. Uh, originally drawn by uh, Mark Texiera. Mark Bright did an arc. Jim Calafiore did an arc. Christopher Priest's Black Panther is the reason why Black Panther is the character he is now. Yeah. They figured out who the Black Panther was in this series. Right. Like somebody that lowered himself to be with the Avengers and not the other way around. Right. It's, what if Batman was the king of a nation? Right. And it is legitimately amazing. It was wonderful. And it didn't matter who was drawing it. The story was so compelling. Not that the art was ever bad. No. But the story just transcended anything visual going on. And it was such a wonderful, compelling read from month to month characters that I wish were still around today. Like Everett K Ross, who was his, uh, was, American liaison, right? Attaché. And he was obviously Michael J Fox from spin city. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> like explaining why we can't have super powered battles in Washington DC on the expressway. <laughs> right. Like how it looks bad in the paper. Yeah, like how, how, it's kind of a PR nightmare for the king of an African nation to show up in New York City and move into an apartment in the ghetto. Right. 
it doesn't matter that he's investigating a murder. It's like, yeah. look, you can't. Please let us like take you to a secure place. Right. And then Mephisto shows up and he kicks his ass. It's wonderful. <laughs> it's so great. That book technically started in the late 90s. It started in 1998. Uh, it was one of the first Marvel Knights books. Oh, yeah. That's right. And it ran, though, until 2003. And Christopher Priest wrote that entire thing. And if you missed it, you have to pick it up. Yeah. It's so great. It's fantastic. Unfortunately, it's not collected, but the issues are out there. And they're not going to cost you anything. No. You can no. find them for nothing. So those are some of my favorites from that era. That's a freaking pile of stuff for you there. And those are all long runs, all of them. Yeah. Keep you busy for quite a while. The next five years. Then you can hit us again, and we'll tell you what you missed in the previous, from 2010 to 2015. Well, he, <laughs> he came back to comics in 2005, so he's probably good up to Yeah, yeah. And so he's got five years in between there. He's going to spend five years reading all of this, <laughs> okay. and then we can do this again. I got you. you know I got you. there? Huh? Thank you so much, Stanford Harvey Jr. We want to know what you think of these, so go read some of them. You don't have to read all of them. Read some of them. Check in with us in the THN forums, and if you are looking for a read from the Comic Pushers, get on our website, tell us what you're into, tell us what you like, tell us what you used to read, what you'd like to read, whatever, and we can suggest some highly addictive comics for you to fire straight up into your dome. Sort of break it it down like this. And that is it for episode 182 of THN. If you're not offended by our questionably racist Australian jokes, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn, where we still need your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your hearts, because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. Thank you, thank you, thank you to our latest donor, Jane Louise. And if you want to add luster to your hair and get rid of your wrinkles like Jane did, try her secret and click our rejuvenating PayPal button at tuitanerd.com. If you want to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation Monthly box. And as little as a dollar a month really does help. And makes you even sexier. Ooh. And if you're interested in sponsoring this embarrassment of a podcast, shoot us an email with the subject line, Sponsorship. We really mean it. While you're there, you can find links to all of our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Skype, and our Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894, using this unaging list of resources. You can beg the comic pushers for a new read. You can defend your questionable nerd taste in front of the two-headed judge for our Defender segment, or you can ask us to review your self-published comic, be it printed, digital, written lipstick on your mirror, or whatever. And don't forget to sign up for the THN forums. It's your little virtual piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show, post videos of you rubbing in your beauty cream, and tell us your beauty secrets. Or just rap about comics. Hey, we've all got to look good, baby. Remember to follow us on Twitter, like our Facebook page, and watch the forums if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion. Then be sure to tune in to hear your answers on the Answer of the Week podcast. But if you need more THN in your life now, get over to TwoHeadedNerd.com and check out the Credible Hulk's one-two punch of Saturday morning cartoons all about Johnny Bravo and his review of Dracula Untold. Oh, wow. As well as the usual suspects. Like ludicrous speed reviews by Aaron Myers. Okay. Hey, we're looking for new writers, guys. Do you have an idea for a blog for our website? Hit us with it. We would love to hear what you'd like to write about or make a video of. Whatever you want to do, we are open to anything. Send it to us. You could be the next THN Love Slave. And who wouldn't want to be one? I'll tell you what. Next week, we'll be reviewing Leaving Megalopolis. When we play, take a look. It's in a book. But before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Roderick Ruth, the man who can't be stopped. Even by Ebola. He's down in Dallas, Texas right now, waging a one-man war against the encroaching Ebola menace. Where do you, buddy, 
been nice knowing you. We appreciate you being the man on the wall. I'm sure Texas will understand when we build a giant fence separating them from the rest of the United States. You guys are crazy about that right? We'll never forget your noble sacrifice, Roderick. Way to turn it into a political rant. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics. Because your retailer just might kiss you in the mouth for it, although it is now flu and Ebola season. So, let's play it cool, folks. This is the Two-Headed Nerd. It's fist bumps for everyone. Signing off. If you're gonna play in Texas, you gotta have a fiddle in the